You're listening to Little Girl Dreams, a podcast by Chelsea Reed. Join me to talk about the disability and the support from family, friends, and the rehabilitation team. Hey guys, so today I have two people with as my guest, Tara and Kate. So Tara, can you introduce yourself and tell me how you met Kate? It's actually Katerini, sorry, or oh, Kat. Oh. <laughs> sorry, I just thought I'd say that right from the get-go. Um, so sorry, my name's Tara Lee and sorry, I've just got some pop-ups coming up here. Um, and I met Katerini during my first pregnancy um, because my husband's a painter and he was painting their house and we both had bellies the same size, so he put us <laughs> in touch with each other. Um, and so Katerini had a little boy a few weeks before I had my first daughter. Yep. And then um, I knew at the time that Katerini was a music therapist, but I didn't realise at the time that when I first met her that she would end up helping me yeah. on my journey with me. I thought, like, <laughs> yeah, right, okay, because I thought, okay, definitely she met her through your therapy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. So no. can you introduce yourself? Is it Katerini? Yes, that's it. It's Katerini. Um, Katerini. Don't worry, I get called lots of different names. Um <laughs> Um, so yeah, my name's Katerini and I'm a registered music therapist and a neurologic music therapist now as well. I just, um, did a little bit of extra to do that. Um, and I run a private practice now in Brisbane. Um, funnily enough, uh, funnily enough, well, anyway, Um, most of my clients are actually Cairns based and, um, I'm now running a busy telehealth, uh, practice on the internet. Um, so I got so many questions, but first (laughs) I'm going to ask, um, Tara. So Tara, you had a stroke. Yes. So can you, um, explain your stroke and what part of your brain is it? Yeah, so the unusual thing about my stroke was that I was eight weeks pregnant at the time that I had my stroke. Um, So, and I was at an appointment with my obstetrician when I had my stroke. Um, So I basically had pulled up to the car park um, and I'd actually texted Katerini to say, I've just, you know, pulled in at the park for doctor, you know, to see Dr. Wright because we'd all been sick. All of us, our children had all been sick at the time. I don't know if you remember, Kat, with gastro. Mm -hmm. And I had to see my obstetrician because I'd been sick and he wanted to make sure that everything was okay with the baby. Um, And basically as soon as I messaged Katerini, I got a pain in my head, which obviously would have been the bleed on my brain. Um, and I almost fainted, but I didn't. My bleed on my brain, my stroke was in my right felmeric. So, um, so different things that it impacted. One of them, which I found at a later date, just doing my own research was confusion, which 
makes sense because at the time when I, after I had the pain and in my head and um, nearly fainted, when I came to my senses, I was like, oh gosh, I need to, I need to get up to Dr. Wright and make sure everything's okay because something's seriously wrong right now in my headspace. Things, it just doesn't feel right. And I remember going, okay, I need to get my car keys and my phone and my wallet. And I remember just not being able to find them. And I was, you know, getting a bit panicked thinking, you know, this is wrong. I just had these things. Where have they gone? And they were right next to me the whole time. But it was only just from kind of like muddling around of my hands that I got my got my stuff and got out of the car and I remember standing there and just pressing the lock button I think I might have locked my car (laughs) maybe like 15 times before I walked away from it because I was thinking I've got to make sure it's locked (laughs) um and then I walked up to the building where his office was and I remember I was just so disorientated and confused and I just kept on walking back and forth past the door trying to find where the door was to get into the building yeah um and then I finally found the door which was right in front of me (laughs) and got in the elevator and managed to get up to the third floor and I just um yeah spoke to his receptionist and and said that um I didn't feel very well and that I was going to sit down um and she had said to me can I get you a glass of water and I was like that would be really lovely thank you and while she was away I remember just sitting there and I think you know just trying to tell myself no you know you're fine there's nothing wrong you know you're just really dehydrated yeah along those along those lines and I bet you're also thinking about your baby well, not yet, not at that point. I was still pretty just not like in my headspace, just really yeah. disorientated. Um, and then I remember just looking down and I had my water bottle in my hand and I was thinking, why did I just ask this lady to go and get me a glass of water when I have a water bottle in my hand? And I was like, no, something's, something's happened and yeah. And it's not good and I need to communicate that I think I need to see the doctor, you know, straight away. So when she came back with the glass of water, I told her what happened, that I nearly passed out in the car and that um, I felt really disorientated um, and that I was starting to feel like I had pins and needles sensation down the left side of my body. Um, And so she went and got the obstetrician and he saw me immediately um and he checked me over but unfortunately he didn't have um because I was so early in the gestation of the pregnancy he didn't have um the right equipment to check and see if the baby was okay um but he basically said to me um that the symptoms that I were that I was having he believed I was having an ectopic pregnancy And he asked me not to drink any water and said, um, I'm going to drive you to the hospital and I'm going to get you to have an ultrasound and confirm where the baby is. And if it's where I believe it is, I'll be prepping you for theatre immediately and cutting out the baby. And he laid me down on the bed in the room and said, I'll 
be back. I need you to lay down and don't move. And I remember just laying there and thinking, no, I need to move. I need to get out of here. Like I think it's just that survival instinct. Mm -hmm. But I was also at this stage too, the pins and needles had just intensified more so and this was when my balance and everything was starting to go. And so I remember thinking, no, I do need to lay here also because if I get up, I think I might fall over. Um, So basically he went into another room and I I didn't know, but he was phoning my husband basically to relay the same message um, of what was happening. And then he came back into the room and we went out to the reception and his medical receptionist, I remember her asking him, um, am I going to call an ambulance? And he was like, no, we don't have time for an ambulance. You're going to help me take her to the car and I'm going to drive her to the hospital, which really wasn't very far away. I can understand how he was saying it would be quicker because it was only really what a block or two mm. away yeah. from yeah, his office um, from where the hospital was. And so I then he, we then drove together um, to the hospital and one of the midwives um, was waiting with a wheelchair and she wheeled me in and they took me for the ultrasound to check where the baby was yeah. in my belly because I hadn't had a dating scan at that point. Um, and, yeah, and they were like, they did the ultrasound and they were like, oh, everything's fine, the baby's healthy, it's exactly where it's supposed to be, the heartbeat's perfect, the size, everything. Yeah. And and I was just, I remember a doctor reading back on Dr. Wright's notes and saying that I was very calm the whole time and I feel like it was because I was so just disorientated and confused. I wasn't really taking any of it on board on a personal level. I was just kind of you know, just there, but not really present. In the yeah. Um, and so after that, I got taken, sorry, I've just had another little thing pop up. I got taken to a room on the maternity unit and I remember um, just laying there. I, I had just been left there and I had, um, you know, was just getting fluids and it was a little while later, a midwife popped her head in and she was just checking in on me and she was like, how are you going? How are you feeling? And I was like, um, I'm feeling okay. But I'm like, but it's really bizarre. The pins and needles on the left side of my body, oh. it's that intense right now that I'm touching my arm, but I can't feel it. I'm like, I just can't feel the left side of my body. It's because the pins and needles sensation is that, that's all I can feel. And when I actually went on to deliver Sophia and I caught up with that midwife at a later date, she said that, and because I actually, I, I cannot for the life of me, I do not remember this, but she said in that moment, she said to me, can you please touch your nose with your finger? And that she said that I put my hand up in the air and my arm just went, went floppy down by my side and she was like oh my god this woman is having a stroke oh finally so she went out and argued with other um nurses and possibly my doctor and 
you know, yeah. and was fighting for my callers saying, I believe this woman is having a stroke. Yeah. So shortly after that, um, they took me and they did an MRI scan and I was, while they were waiting for the results, they moved me from the maternity um, unit to I think it was the ICU, was it? Yeah. Katerini, I don't know if mm, you Yeah, I think it was there yeah. first. Yes, yeah, I was there first. Um, and even even at that stage, I remember having another doctor in the next unit that coming up to me and saying, oh, look, you know, I, th- I think that you've just had a migraine and that the symptoms you're displaying are just is just a migraine. <laughs> and I remember just thinking because oh, I do get migraines and I was thinking I feel like this is really serious yeah and I don't think it is a migraine yeah um and then shortly afterwards um they got the results back and confirmed that I did have a small stroke so I was fortunate that it was just a small stroke yeah um and by this stage I I, could, I wasn't walking. I needed help. If I needed to get out of the bed, I would have um, a nurse assisting me and I would be wheeled wherever I needed to go yep. in a wheelchair. Yep. Um, and, so, oops, oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, no. So when did you find out you have a hole in your heart? Um, so... So after they confirmed that I had the stroke... They, there was quite a few doctors that were deliberating over my situation yeah. and they come to the conclusion that they believed I had the PFO, which is yeah. the hole in your heart, in your heart chamber, um, where the flap doesn't seal after birth. Um, and they had discussed about checking it by doing the bubble study, but because yep. they believed there'd be too much risk of miscarriage, they decided not to test for it until after I delivered Sophia. Wow. So I basically was so then for my the duration of my pregnancy from Were you in the hospital all the time? For for after I had my stroke. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> I I left pretty relatively quickly I think in terms of having had a stroke so I think it was exactly a week to the day that I had the stroke I was out of hospital and returned home yeah so um and it's all a it's all it is a bit fuzzy and I did try I did talk to my husband a little bit um about it recently because it's not there's a lot of things I don't really talk about with it because it's all just such a haze and such just you know in the past now because it's just recently it was four years since I had my stroke um but one of the things that I do one of the biggest things that I remember them saying was that because I was at a private hospital at the time they were saying that all of their stroke resources were based in their hospital and because I was not able to drive and my husband would be working it wasn't attainable for me to use those resources and that it would that I need that I should stay at home and be resting and I remember one of the doctors saying that I didn't need to do physical therapy 
and that um, to just clean my house. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think there was a lot of questionable things that were done at the time, you know, I guess information that was relayed to me. And another thing I remember that same doctor telling me to do because I didn't have control of my very good control of my left hand because obviously yeah. right side stroke, left hand, yeah. you know, um, effects, uh, sorry, left side effects. Um, yeah. So I remember her saying to me thing also, apart from cleaning my house to brush my teeth with my left hand, just quite bizarre. And then because I, I couldn't, I did work with it, I did a little bit of work with a physio, but it was more based on getting me back on my feet. So as soon as I could walk with a walking aid, like, you know, the walking aid, like elderly use, the walking aids, wheelies, walking wheelies. Yeah. (laughs) As soon as I could walk independently with the wheelie, they sent me home and the doctor just basically said, you're going to need to hire a wheelie so that you can get yourself around. (laughs) That's so weird. So, sorry, back to the hole in your heart. Yes. So you um, delivered your baby mm-hmm. and then you had an operation with your heart. So, so, so during the pregnancy I did, I had to go on blood thinning injections. So from 12, so up until 12 weeks, I was on aspirin. Then from 12 weeks to 38 weeks, I would inject myself once a day with Clexane. Inject with a needle? With a needle, yes. Wow. (laughs) Yes. So I did that up until 38 weeks. And then from 38 weeks, I had to inject myself twice daily with a different blood thinning injection um, which was, I think from memory, it was called heparin uh, or heparin. How I, I'm not quite sure how to say it. Um, and it was, I had to do it twice daily, so morning and afternoon because it would run out quicker so that if I went into labour, I didn't have blood thinning in my system because then you're at risk of bleeding out yep. during labour. Yeah. So, but I was quite, I guess, fortunate in a way, um, none of my babies ever seem to really come early so I actually had to be induced with Sophia because that's the other end of the scale when you have a stroke during pregnancy you're at higher chance of stillborn oh wow yeah so there's lots of a lot it's a lot more risk with the pregnancy so I was I ended up being induced right on 40 weeks because I wasn't allowed to go overdue with her pregnancy and so the Two days before I was induced, I went completely off blood thinning. Yeah. No blood thinning injections, no aspirin. I just went cold turkey and then I was induced. And then I think it was 24 hours after I had her, I was black, back on the Clexane injections until six weeks after birth. Oh, because six weeks. Six weeks after birth is when, like in Sarah's situation, where you're more at chance at risk of stroke because there's lots yeah. of hormones and, and things going on in the body. So after that, so I had been informed earlier in the pregnancy that after, sometimes, uh, sometime after I delivered, within that six-week window, I had to have the bu- bubble study 
to confirm yeah. that I had the PFO. And so I had that done. I think Sophia was getting closer to the six weeks. So she might have been five five weeks old then. Yeah. And so I had the bubble study confirmed that it was a PFO, but I I don't remember the the size, but I was told that it was it was small. But mm. because of um having had a stroke when you have a stroke you're at increased chances of having another stroke yeah. it was recommended by two two heart specialists that I have it close have the procedure to have it closed and um, the operation is it like open heart or like through no. the so one thing that I found out with this with my situation um and speaking to heart specialists specialists is that um, heart surgery these days is very rarely open heart surgery. It's mostly non-invasive surgery. So they yeah. go through um, a main artery in your groin and oh. Oh, they actually, use medical I've instruments to go from the main artery in your groin to your yeah. heart. So they have a, a camera, they had a camera down my throat and were filming and like live streaming as they were actively operating. Yeah. So they basically yeah. um, clamp a mesh metal mesh device down that promotes flesh growth to seal that flap. Mm. So basically what they believe happened was that during the pregnancy, I would have got a lower body clot and that it would have traveled to my heart and instead of going to my lungs and dissipating, it's gone through that flap, that hole that's not sealed at birth, yeah. and travelled to my brain and caused the bleed on the brain. That's... So, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just like, that's very, very hectic. Like, think about that. Uh, I, for me, the craziest thing was that no one could tell me if Sophia was okay. Um, yeah. So even though you're more at risk of having stroke during pregnancy, there's no actual studies or anything on the children that oh, are born after, you know, being in the belly. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you have a stroke. And I was, if I basically, it didn't matter which doctor I asked, if I, because any doctor that I would see that we'd have conversations around it, I would just ask just to see if anyone did know. Yeah, but I was always met with the the same answer that no one knew, and that I needed to just wait until I delivered her and yeah. see that she tech, um, met all her milestones. And yeah. if she didn't, that was when we would find out if there was anything wrong. Yeah. Um, so I connected on social media. I joined a Facebook group, female stroke survivors. Um, and kind of just searched and, you know, tried to find other women that had had stroke during pregnancy yep. and just to see how their children were mm-hmm. after everything. Yep. And I did connect with a few ladies and one lady in particular, um, Ashley from America, um, she had her stroke at the same, I believe it was the same age, the same gestation and the same part of her brain. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So, and funnily enough, quite a few women that we've connected with that have had strokes during pregnancy, we all seem to be around that same gestation. Yeah, yeah. So so 
they believe like my blood clot was caused from too much estrogen in my system, yep. which I, um, I get um during pregnancy. I I do get a in all three pregnancies. I got a it looks like a rash, but it's just red blood va- red blood vas- vessels. Yep. Sorry. Um, and it's basically from just having too much estrogen in your system. Yeah. So like the people that have strokes from being on the pill because it messes with their hormones and they have yeah. too much estrogen yeah. then in their system, it was a similar sort of occurrence with me for my pregnancy. So um, how do you support T- Katerini? How do you support um, Tara? Um, oh, like we obviously were friends and have been friends before yeah. Sophia came around. Um, so I suppose it was firstly as friendship. Um, yeah. And obviously when we all heard about it, all our friendship group, our little village, what we call ourselves in Cairns, um, we all just, I mean, scrambled. We didn't know what to do, but we tried to help as much as we could. Um, so I suppose on that level, that was our first um, response. Um, and then after a while, as Tara Lee sort of settled into life and I suppose came home, she was really interested herself in um, using music therapy to assist her um, in her rehabilitation. So the first thing I suppose what Tara Lee just touched on there was I suppose the unknown of her pregnancy with Sophia. Um, yeah. She was obviously you know, there was anxiety around that. There was um, emotion around that, the unknown. So I suppose the first thing that we tried to do and we talked about was doing a little bit of relaxation and a bit of guided relaxation for her to oh, okay. to just relax. <laughs> um, and I suppose music has that power to sort of reduce tension, reduce your heartbeat, your heart rate, um, alleviate pain, so, regulate breathing. Can you explain to me, what is the music therapist? Like, I don't get it. So, yeah, can you explain it? (laughs) Great question. And, you know, this is a very common experience of mine and many music therapists when we say we're a music therapist and people go, what is that? Um, um, So basically if I can describe it as being like a stimulus specialist, so we know what works and we know what fires in the brain on response to music. So we sort of look at music and then I work out and other music therapists work out individually with their clients how it can be best used to help and support their client. So if you sort of think about a speech therapist or a physiotherapist, they would be using their interventions to sort of reach a goal. So as a music therapist, we have goals. Our clients give us goals or it's something that's um, given in the plan. And then we look at how music can sort of help fit and help motivate and move those goals for people. Um, So you you do training for it. I did a a Bachelor of Music and I'm a singer, firstly, and I play lots of different instruments. And then you sort of do that extra study where you work out music as therapy. So the difference between that as performing or education and as a therapeutic tool um so it is you know it's available yeah it's around and particularly now the ndis 
um, if your listeners have heard of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, music therapy is one of the nominated um, interventions and therapies that clients can access and they can choose to have. So with Tara Lee, she, because she knew me and she liked music, um, she, she sort of said, what can you do for me? Uh, firstly, with the feelings of anxiety and stress and tension, yep. and then talking more about how her um, she was sort of having that, I suppose, escalated sensation in her left side, loss of sensation in her fingers and her fine motor skills. So things like, you know, doing daily tasks like dressing, eating, all of those things, picking up her other little baby, Evelyn, um, was stressful for her. So we used music to help her with that. So, um, what, so like, can you get me an example? So mm. like what's the examples? Like what's the exercising? Yeah, so um, I suppose with the relaxation, if you think about music to relaxation that would be the first thing we did I chose music I had a script that sort of guided Tara Lee to reduce her heart rate to focus to be mindful in the moment using music yes very cool and you know we have to think about music and rhythm how it connects with us and how it changes our brain and how it you know we I think you've talked about neuroplasticity a lot with some of your other guests how music can change your brain you know just by listening to music your brain changes so we use that so that was sort of in more like what we call a receptive music therapy so Tara Lee would relax and listen to music and allow that to change her um, and then the other thing was we did was more active therapy where we used the piano so Tara Lee had a piano a little keyboard at home and you know she thought of that herself she was like oh could I use the keyboard to help my fine motor skills and my fingers and I was like yes let's do that I so always we... thought that yeah mm. because I like I can't use my no I can but like hardly use my fingers it's just like imagine like playing the piano like mm-hmm. exactly use that intuition because it is it's right on you know like it's it takes so much control to move those fingers but if you're motivated by something if you've got an instrument, if you've got rhythm, sorry, motorbike went past, if you've got rhythm and beat that is sort of moving you, your body will actually, like a magnet, move to that. You know, if you just do an experiment on yourself and put a really fast beat on and walk, you will start moving with that beat. So the same sort of applies for, you know, any music and any change that you want to make. But, yeah, for Tara Lee, it was about trying to use her fingers in a new way um, and really, you know, working on that brain-finger connection, you know, sort of, you know, rather than it being a tedious thing because, you know, they, they said to her, do some cleaning, but, like, that's probably not the most enjoyable thing <laughs> yeah. for Tara Lee to be doing. Um, but piano was a really nice thing for her to do for herself. So yeah. we were sort of just using numbers on the keyboard and trying to, like, yeah. use fingers for that. So, again, that sort of working on your memory and your attention, which is another thing that was sort of underlying with that sort of thalamus being um, damaged in her um, stroke. I'm just like, wow. But, like, 
so I suck at singing. Like, can I still <laughs> use it? Like, <laughs> oh, yes, you can. And this is what's so awesome about music therapy is you don't have to have had any previous musical experience. I mean, listen, we all do have previous musical experience because we've listened to music all our lives. Music, you know, I, I have not met one person where music wasn't a part of their lives in some way or another. So we've all had an experience and a connection and a relationship with music and that also triggers parts of our brain that have to do with memory and emotion and and so, you know, it's really powerful. So if you even if you can't sing, singing particularly, I mean, we didn't delve into that with Tara Lee, but, um, there was but very <laughs> you know, we were focused very much on the physical and the emotional sort of um, yeah connections for music therapy but speech and communication is a huge area and it's a really it's you know becoming such a studied area that music can actually bypass so many parts of the brain and we can use so many different parts of the brain in connecting with our speech centers so singing is a great example of how you can rehabilitate your speech improve your speech or or acquire speech which I do with younger children um, through singing through music so yeah Yeah, I remember I was at the hospital and the speech lady says, you can't speak well, but you can sing. It's just like the the different um, parts of the brain, like. Yes, exactly right. And I think um, that's what makes it, you know, the scientific sort of connection with how that all works is we're firing off those neurons when we sing and we're activating other areas Definitely, there's so much to say in that that I don't even think I can concisely say it in a sentence, but <laughs> definitely, <laughs> that's for another podcast probably. Um, but, yeah, we, we definitely are able to sort of bypass that sort of speech control to then sing. And there are people that I have worked with myself who cannot speak, but they can sing, and that is what is it's really cool. So through singing, you're able to then rehabilitate and come back through to speaking that's amazing. Mm. So what is your business name? Um, well, I'm called Hummingbird Music Therapy and Singing. And yep. um, so I'm also, well, was, I don't do singing teaching anymore, but um, I was also a singing teacher. I suppose that definitely makes my connection with um, singing and speech so strong. Um, yep. Yeah, so I work with, you know, lots of different people, you know, including those who have had stroke or acquired brain injury um, who yep. are neurodivergent? Um, yeah, so many, many areas. And what's your like age bracket? Like, are you younger people or older people? Or yeah, I like to sort of say um, birth to death because <laughs> I've worked with everyone. You know, a sound and a hearing is our first sense to develop, and it's our last one to go. So you can sort of see how encompassing sound and music can be um, when you're thinking of age groups there. I actually remember in the hospital when I had my stroke and when Katerini came to visit me one day, I remember her actually, you know, saying to me, you know, when you're ready, um, if you'd like, we could do music therapy together and I can help you if you want help. And I just, I remember being really blindsided by that because I knew Katerini did a work with a lot of children um, 
and then we were talking about how and then when that was the first conversation that I ever had with Katerini and realized that she helped people you know who were recovering (laughs) from strokes and we were just having a bit of a giggle about how well you'll be the youngest person that's had a stroke that I've ever helped with some music yeah. therapy do you remember that Katerini <laughs> oh so my fun. goodness now that you say that I go yes oh, <laughs> definitely yeah and you have been the youngest that I've worked with I have actually had another young lady recently um oh. but yeah I, there's only been a handful of people who have been you know a little bit younger yeah I just yeah, can't believe like, yeah yes. gross motor like definitely I working with Katerini I still say that that's what helped me learn how help to learn how to type again with my left hand because all my my professional work I've always worked in payroll as an accounts administrator and one of the the other things I did apart from working once I'd worked with Katerini and mum it was my mother actually who lent me the keyboard I, I wrote down, well, actually, I think Katerini wrote down a lot of the exercises because we worked a lot with numbers. And so I would go home and practice as much as I could at home. And then at work, they, one of the ladies that I worked with, um, dropped off a spare keyboard, like as for, at the computer. And so with working with Katerini and then practicing myself at home, I was able to just like what Katerini says, work on those fine motor skills so that I could, you know, get to where I am today yeah. and still be able yeah. to work and have a functioning left hand. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, – I'm just like, what? <laughs> it was but, a lot of um, Thank you so much for being here, both of you. Um do you want any do you want anything to say like oh my gosh well I just want to say that I'm so grateful to Katerini and like she said all of our friends in our village that were always just you know such a massive support for me because it you know it was really hard it was a really hard thing to go through and have a young you know child to care for as well and having to care for yourself and so yeah so my friends and my family and my husband everyone was just yeah they were amazing and they're all the reason why I'm doing so well today oh that's really good (laughs) well um thank you for being here and I will see well I won't see you because of COVID but (laughs) I'll see you online (laughs) definitely sounds good thank you Chelsea bye bye bye